So Money Episode 69, Ask Farnoosh. You're listening to So Money with award-winning money guru Farnoosh Torabi. Each day, get a 30-minute dose of financial inspiration from the world's top business minds, authors, influencers, and from Farnoosh herself. Looking for ways to save on gas or double your double coupons? Sorry, you're in the wrong place. Seeking profound ways to live a richer, happier life? Welcome to So Money. Welcome back to So Money, everyone. I'm your host, Farnoosh Tarabi. Happy spring. Happy March 21st, 2015. And to all my Persian friends out there, Iranian friends, Happy New Year. Eidatun Mubarak. I hope you have a wonderful, wonderful year, lots of prosperity, lots of success, lots of health, happiness, and humor. And as I always kick off my Saturday episode of Ask Farnoosh, I'd like to begin now with a review left kindly on iTunes for this podcast. And this person is going to receive a free 15-minute money session with me. And the review goes something like this. It was written by that 20-something The title of the review is called, It's About Time! Exclamation point, five stars. That's kind of the review I like to see. She says, or he says, a lot of financial podcasts have become stale and unoriginal to me. Farnoosh has not only kept her content relevant and modern, but unique. She's not afraid to ask real questions, and her topics are general enough that everyone walks away with something, but also heavy enough for people well on their way in financial freedom and education. Some other podcasts have the same guests and peddle the same message. Farnoosh leaves some interpretation to her listeners, but is also readily available to help anyone who is hungry for truth. Please keep doing what you are doing, Farnoosh. You have moved away from my third to first dependable and enjoyable podcast out of three. Thanks for taking time out of your life to teach us. Wow. So, I mean, let's be honest. This is so sweet for me, right? I'm just like sitting here bragging about myself. I'm going to be honest about that. This makes me feel really good. It's a great way to kick off my weekend. But as an appreciation to you and as evidence to all of you listening that I do truly mean what I say, I want to give you a free 15-minute money session with me. So email me, farnoosh at somoneypodcast.com. Let me know that I read your review over the airwaves and that it brought me to tears and that I would love to connect with you and hear more about how I can serve you. And for all of you out there, if you want to be that 20 something next weekend, have me read off your review, send me an exuberant review on iTunes, um, and tell me what you like. And I will hopefully notice it, spot it being, and invite you to, uh, have a one-on-one with me in the near future. So thank you very much for that review. And let's, without further ado, let's get to this weekend's questions. Lots and lots and lots of questions coming through and I try to keep these episodes to about 20, 25 minutes, shorter than my typical 30 to 40 minutes, because I find that they get kind of exhausting after a while. I mean, not for me, because I love reading off questions and giving my two, t- two cents, but I feel like as a, as a listener, it can get pretty exhaustive. Let's move on. Tori writes in, she says, I work in a job that I hate. Oh no, but I will need to pay my company a buyout fee if I leave my contract early. It's equivalent to four weeks of pay plus moving expenses that they gave me. I've been saving about 10% of my take-home pay each week in my savings account so that I can afford the buyout come November of this year. But I'm wondering whether I should be putting my money elsewhere, like a CD or in stocks to make it grow faster. 
Tori, no, please leave the money in the savings account. I think because you need this money later this year within just a number of months that you want to keep this money in a safe place. You don't want to put it anywhere risky. Stocks are too risky. CDs are not risky, but they'll require likely for you to keep your money locked up for at least 12 months, sometimes longer, in order to reap the benefits of the maybe 1% that they're going to give you on that money. Uh, so for you, in your circumstance, you need to take this money out relatively quickly, keep it in that account, make sure it's FDIC insured, and just tap it when you're ready to pay that buyout fee and say goodbye to this company. And I hope that that can happen for you as soon as possible because I would hate to know that you're in a job that you don't like. Colin writes and says, I just started listening to your podcast and I'm enjoying it a lot so far. I've recently decided to start investing and I'm learning a lot. I have an outstanding student loan and I've been paying more than the necessary monthly payment for over two years. I also have at least three times the amount of the student loan in cash that I'm looking to invest. Would it be a better strategy to immediately pay down the student loan with some of my cash or to continue making monthly payments and investing all of it? For my first investments, I'm looking at low-cost index funds through Vanguard. Well, Colin, I think, you know, th this is a good problem to have. You know, you've got student loans that you're able to pay above and beyond those monthly minimums. You've got a lot of money left over to be aggressive with. You uh, seem to be in a good place. Now, you didn't mention what the interest rate on your student loans is if it's a federal loan i'm guessing it's around six percent if it's a private loan it might be higher it might be a variable rate so i would say that this what i would advise really partly depends on the interest rate of those student loans if they're really high like more than eight nine ten percent i would try to pay those down first and quickly if they're five, six percent, maybe what you do is you continue staying the course like you have been paying, you know, triple that minimum, which is still very substantial. And I bet that's going to trim your payoff period by at least a couple of years. Then uh, if you so if you've got low interest, then maybe you want to stay the course and, and do that and then take the rest of the money that's sitting there, that, you know, big load of cash. And uh, before investing it, I would see that I I would want to make sure that I have a rainy day cushion, right? So if you don't have savings, like short-term savings, then maybe you would use that stash of cash to buffer your rainy day account. So like I always say, six to nine months of your living expenses covered is where you want to be in order to feel financially uh, flexible, financially free, financially independent. Then if you've got that covered and you've still got some money left over, then you can, I uh, say, you know, you're free to invest. And I like that you're being conservative, that you're being smart and you're paying low fees and that you want to pay low fees. Index funds, exchange traded funds, really, really great in that way. Um, so that would be the checklist. Like first make sure that the interest rate on the student loans aren't too high. And if you're paying a lot in interest, then it might make sense to really be more aggressive even than the three-time payment that you're paying every month to, to really get rid of that student loan as quickly as possible. And also from a psychological level, like some people just don't want to have debt, even if it's student loan debt that they're managing, that it's not ruining their life. They just don't like the idea of having debt. It's a four-letter word they hate it. They want to get rid of it. So that's you. You got your answer. But if you're managing your student loans and the interest rates are not very high and you've got still a lot of money left over, if you don't have savings for rainy day, that's your next priority. Then from there, you can invest. And I like the approach of index funds.
Bravo. So Colin, good question. Good problems to have. Uh, let me know how things turn out. Alonzo says, hi, Farnoosh. I was hoping you could comment on stocks of medical marijuana companies. Ooh, medical marijuana seems to be a growing industry and I'd like to invest, but I'm not sure where. Well, Alonzo, you are barking up the wrong tree. I don't know enough about this. I, don't, I actually don't know anything about this. I wish that I had some answers for you. Uh, I, I have no doubt that medical marijuana is on the rise, as we know more and more states are making this me- uh, legal, and it won't be. It'll just be a matter of time before more states are making marijuana legal. Period. Um, I think. I mean, that just seems to be the trend. So without having any knowledge of this, I had a, I did a quick Google search for you. (laughs) So I did find a pretty uh, long article on Forbes.com that was written last year and it was entitled Meet the Eight Hottest Publicly Traded Marijuana Companies. And it was written by a woman named Carol Tice, T-I-C-E. So you can look that up. And if you just kind of do a regular web search for medical marijuana companies, publicly traded companies, then I think you can find some information. But for me to give you advice, A, I don't give investing advice as far as specific stocks and specific funds. I give very general broad strokes advice about you know investing for the long term. If you're looking for investing about day trading, buying and selling stocks quickly, especially within certain sectors. You know what? I would actually go and listen to Frank Curzio's podcast. Frank Curzio is a friend of mine. I was on his podcast not too long ago. He'll be on mine shortly. Frank is a longtime investor. He's extremely knowledgeable. He grew up. His father was a huge investor. He has a newsletter, so you can subscribe to that newsletter. You can probably try to send him a question, but listen to his podcast. You'll probably learn a lot. I I know that he likes hearing from people, so email him. Go to his site, Frank, as in Frank, and then Curzio, C-U-R-Z-I-O. So check him out, and I would ask him. Nicole says, good morning, Farnoosh. I am Tom's older and wiser sister, Nicole. I know Tom from college, and Tom has been writing into me and asking me great questions, and he's an avid listener, and I'm glad to know that he is including his family. And Nicole, nice to hear from you. Thank you for joining the show, and thank you for your question. She says that um, Tom has turned me into... Tom has turned me onto your site and I'm completely obsessed with your podcast and have recommended you to my girlfriends at work. Right on. Thank you so much. Now she says, my question is my husband leases a car and as someone who's always been scared by leasing, I fear that I'm biased as to whether or not it's smart to do so. My question is this. He is still in his lease agreement and he's gone over his miles. I'm nervous about the financial implication of this. He believes he'll just buy the car, but looking ahead to the future, should leasing be something that we avoid? Thank you so much for these podcasts. Well, uh, Nicole, I think... I totally hear you. I am not a fan of leasing in general, to be completely honest. And, you know, here we have a perfect example where your husband has leased a car and he's gone over his miles. That is always a risk, right? The lease allows you to uh, pay a certain amount every month, understanding that you won't go above and beyond a certain mileage, a certain um, miles driven. And if you do, then you have to pay for that. And every contract is different in terms of what you have to pay, but that's something that you might have to save for in this event. Now, uh, so like you, I, I also like the idea of buying a car, preferably a certified used car and just driving it into the ground. And, um, while in the short run, leasing can be cheaper than buying, switching from car to car every two to three years can prove costlier than driving one car for a couple hundred thousand miles. 
Um, that said, you know, if you're an aspirational driver or you're someone who prefers a new car at all times to sort of keep up with appearances of like maybe you own a nice business and you're seeing clients and so you want to show up and kind of look like you have your, you know, what together. Um, leasing also lets you afford a snazzier vehicle at sometimes a better monthly price. Uh, but it's for a short period of time. And if you don't plan on racking up a lot of miles, um, you're, you're probably a good candidate if, you know, all of the above is, is suitable. And your husband was probably not the best candidate for leasing. He went over his miles. So like you, I'm, call me old-fashioned, I like to buy a car and just drive it for years and years and years, and a reliable car at that, um, that has a proven track record, that comes with a warranty, that, you know, I can spill my coffee and not be, like, scared to death that I'm going to have to, like, pay the price when I turn this into the dealership when I when my lease is up. So as so many financial decisions are, this is an emotional decision too. Like leasing for some people just elicits anxiety. And it sounds like it, it does for you as it would for me. And for your husband, it's not so much. Like he likes the sort of short-term win of having a lease. Although now he's probably going to have to pay a little bit more for going over in his miles. Um, perhaps he likes having a new car every so often. Um but, you know, I think what is also evident from your husband's case is that he, he leased this car. He kind of went overboard with the miles. He sort of feels like at this point, if he owes them any money, I guess I'll just buy it now, which maybe wasn't his plan, right? And maybe he doesn't really love this car. So, you know, I don't know. For all these reasons, I like to just wait to save up to buy a car. And um, that's my two cents. And thank you for listening. And if you need someone to blame, blame me as you're talking to your husband about this. Be like this woman, Farnoo. She, you know, I was listening to her podcast. She said the wildest thing. She said leasing is kind of, you know, a loser's game. Uh, don't blame me. I'm just the messenger. I'm, I'm happy to take the blame there. Amy writes in, she says, how much net worth should I have for my age and my income? Is there a chart somewhere or an equation to help me figure out if I'm doing okay? Uh, that's a really good question, Amy. I don't know how old you are. I don't know how much you have saved or what your income is. So not knowing anything about you, I have no idea what your net worth should be or, you know, I don't know what your goals are. So I don't know what this net worth is going to support someday in the future. So if you want to write back to me again with some specifics, I would be more than happy to, to get you uh, some specific answers. But I don't know of any charts anywhere or an equation necessarily to help you figure out if you're doing okay. I really kind of deal with these things on a case-by-case basis and understanding what your goals are, what things you want to afford in your life, where you want to go in your life, where you're headed, and then looking at kind of what your financial situation is now, how much you're earning, how much you're saving, what your debt load is, etc. Then... I can come up with an answer that says either you're doing great, you're doing okay, or you need to make some improvements. So send me uh, maybe some more specifics. And, and listeners, if you have any resources for Amy, if you've come across a chart somewhere that shows you exactly how much net worth you should have at a certain age and a certain income at a certain age, let me know. I'd be curious. I'd love to read that. I'd love to see that. That wraps our Saturday edition of Ask Farnoosh, March 21st, 2015. As a reminder, if you'd like to send me a question for next weekend, just hop on to somoneypodcast.com, click on Ask Farnoosh, and send me your question about money, work, life, kids, family, 
whatever. I am all ears. And as we mentioned in the beginning of the podcast, uh, I select one winner every week to receive a free 15 minute money session with me. And this week it went to that 20 something on iTunes. Thank you for your review. But when you do leave the review, just nudge me, let me know, email me farnoosh at so many podcast.com just so that I know in case uh, we fail to connect, I can try to find you. But leave the review. Let me know. I will hopefully read it on the weekend, on the Saturday edition of Ask Farnoosh in, at the very top of the podcast. And then email me again and say, hey, you read my, you read my review. Let's, let's get this uh, money blitz going. And I'll be happy to set up a Skype session with you. Happy Persian New Year again to all of my Persian friends. Hope you have a blessed new year. And I will see you back here tomorrow with more Ask Farnoosh questions. Meantime, have a great weekend and hope your weekend is so money.